0: Welcome, welcome everyone. I am so excited to have our guest today. We have a very special guest for you that you guys are going to love. He has an amazing story and he's really going to just share some deeply seated things that he dealt with during this story. So I'm going to let him share that story. But today we're going to talk to Henry Doss and Henry Doss is a business and financial coach and author of FQ, which is financial intelligence. And so Henry, we are so grateful to have you here today. And I would love for you to share a little bit about your story. Like where'd you start? And What happened through this process of being, you know, now you're a business owner and and an author, but you started somewhere and you had some hardships along the way. So let's talk about that.
1: All right, let's jump uh, right into the frying pan. So thank you for having me here. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to skip the fire. No, we're going to go. We're going to end up in the fire, but we'll start in the frying pan. So. Brief, very brief backstory. I am a serial entrepreneur. I started my first business 30 years ago. I've had six, seven, eight. I've I've sort of lost count. And yes, I'm I currently coach entrepreneurs and people in personal finance. And I wrote I wrote this book that I released. So we're gonna start with a story that I told in the book, which I think will fit in nicely with your audience. So Back in 2005, uh, sorry, 2003, I was living in New York with my New York City with my wife and my three kids, and we we decided to move to suburbia. So we moved to the to the suburbs north of New York City. We bought a house. It was a fixer upper special, good bones, all that stuff. And we met a guy. Uh, I I changed his name. His uh, nom de guerre is Bob, not his real name. And Bob was a contractor. So we had to do huge, huge project on this house. We didn't have to do it, but we bought it with the intention of doing a huge project. And we did. And Bob was a contractor. I interviewed 17 contractors. And um, Bob was the one who kind of had the best CV. And we became friends. We were new to the community. Bob, his his girlfriend, who eventually became his wife. And we started working together. I had a home theater business. So I was building home theaters. He was building multi-million dollar houses. It was a, per- it was a perfect marriage, at least I thought it was. And then we decided to actually build spec houses, um, ourselves. Now, again, this is before the housing bust of 2008, but not that far mm-hmm. before. So we did okay. a couple of projects, we made a few bucks, and then we were in the middle of a very big multimillion dollar project in, um, wow, this is tough. Um, I'm going to get a little okay.
0: emotional here when I talk it's about okay. this, but. And I had,
1: uh, I had, it was two days after Christmas, 2006. And I took the kids to see Night at the Museum with Ben Stiller. We came home 10 o'clock at night. And a guy named Charlie, he was the electrician on all the different jobs. And he was the electrician who did the renovation of my house. And Charlie called me and told me that Bob had jumped off a bridge. And I was just beside myself I had no idea and I ran upstairs and I grabbed my wife and we drove over to their house and it was a circus I mean nobody saw this coming and
0: so tell me I was on the
1: hook for about so I'm sorry go ahead
0: no, you're good. I I apologize for interrupting you. No,
1: no, 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 no. It's your job, um, which is good. I need to take a breath because I haven't really told this story to very many people, although I did write about it in my book, but not in this kind of detail. And I will say that in my 60 years on planet Earth that I have never met someone, his girlfriend who he had married the month before that, I had never met someone who was as inconsolable and as... She, I mean, she literally could not even put out a coherent sentence. Uh, that's oh. how, how devastated oh this was. God. And we were all, there were, there were probably a hundred people. Cause he knew a lot of people and he lived in this, you know, gigantic house and we were, we were dumbfounded. So the next day I came back over and started talking to his guys because we had this project that we we're working on and he had other projects. And then it became apparent that there were some very dark secrets here. He uh, had been kiting a lot, a lot, a lot of money, uh, playing that kind of Ponzi scheme with it, um, you know, millions of dollars. He mm. apparently, he was a recovering heroin addict and he had fallen off the wagon, which oh, no. so all of a sudden, all of these things start to come out. So we were involved in a project. Probably when it's all said and done, maybe four million dollars, and I'm on the hook for it. I'm a guarantor, oh. but he was handling all of it and all the finances. And I'll I'll tell you the story. This this part I love. Uh, he had these beautiful gardens in the back of his house, and I'm I'm walking between this this big garage and office he had in the back, and I'm walking to the main house. My phone rings, and it's the bank, bank where we had the note. Sorry for your loss. Could you do us a favor though? Uh Bob never paid the December payment. Could you come down and bring us a check for $19,367 or something like that? And I said, absolutely not, under wow. no circumstances. And that started basically a two and a half year nightmare with the bank foreclosing, with the investors suing. I mean, it was uh arguably the worst period of my life at all. I mean, it was, um, every night I went to bed thinking to myself, how did this happen? You know, what did I do wrong? How did I get blindsided? Why I'm, I'm, I usually am so good at handling risk. Where did I go wrong? <laughs> right. I yeah,
0: mean, that's a crazy, crazy story. So you're saying that you actually did not see any signs at all. Or now you know, that you're on the other side and you see, you know, we the, all compared
1: uh, notes. We, you know, he owed, the funny thing was uh, not only was I, I his partner on this, but I was also a contractor for him on a number of jobs. He owed me about 80,000 bucks. Uh, he had never finished the, you know, my house that he had, that where I met him, where he did the renovation. So I didn't even have a, a, a CFO and didn't even have a certificate of occupancy. Uh, so there were little signs like that. And there were, there were all sorts of, I mean, it was, he owed millions of dollars to a bunch of different contractors. In fact, there was a little bit of a sign. The guy, Charlie, who called me up to apprise me that Bob had jumped off the bridge uh, about a week or so before that, said, hey, hey, does, does Bob owe you a bunch of money? And I said, yeah, he owes me about 80 grand. He goes, yeah, he owes me about 100 grand. And, and he was funny. He said, well, if you're not worried about it, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, in hindsight, I thought, well, I was an idiot. I should have been really worried about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you when you have somebody that you're a partner with like that, and you don't, you know, you think you're. I'm guessing you guys were friends, and you wouldn't probably go into partnership if you weren't. We were we were, were friends did. first, somewhat well,
1: mm-hmm. and, and and we were new to the town, and we didn't really fit into in you know moving from. Manhattan Greenwich Village to this, you know, wealthy leafy suburb in Westchester was a real culture shock. In fact, before we moved, a friend of mine said to me, he goes, Henry, you could move to Shenzhen, China, and probably have less culture shock than what you're in for. And I'm like, no, that that can't possibly be. But it was, (laughs) we really were. We really were fish out of water. So that made my blinders even even bigger, because the fact that, that Bob and his wife became such good friends of ours and they became our social group, we were really heavily invested. So I think that allowed us to be blinded. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's no other way to, to, to describe it. Uh, I, I violated all sorts of rules that, that I, I follow almost religiously, obviously not. I guess, I guess I was an agnostic during this particular period in terms of fiscal controls and and risk and all of these things. I thought I had insulated myself from risk, but it turns out I was completely wrong. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the bank went after me and I met with a bankruptcy attorney, not because I had any intention of going bankrupt. I just wanted to know what the law was. Mm -hmm. And I remember he said to me, you know, it's not, not so easy to go bankrupt anymore. And I'm like, it used to be easy. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is, the, this is the nuclear bomb you're talking about here. Correct. Um, so, oh. so fast. So I'll fast forward to the end of 2008 when the financial crisis is starting to hit in earnest for those who remember that time. And I'm being sued. The, the investors, they went away very quickly because they realized that. This was all all what they called non-recourse, meaning they had no recourse. There was nothing that they could do. Their money was at risk. But the bank was not going away because they had financed the whole deal. Funny story. Uh, uh, when we closed on this note, which was, I think, about over $3 million, at the closing, you know, there's a form that you have to fill out when you do a mortgage, the uniform, whatever it is. It's like that big legal document where you list all your assets and all that stuff. Well, Uh in the closing, the woman hands me this. I'm like, what is this? Well, we need this for our records. I said, I don't have these numbers. So I just scribbled a bunch of nonsense on it and handed it to them at the closing. Right? Uh Isn't this the sort of stuff you're supposed to do like (laughs) three months beforehand to (laughs) say that we qualify? That gives you an idea. And this is not atypical. That time in in the early 2000s was the Wild West. People were just, banks were just throwing money at people. That's how big the bubble was. Again, another warning sign, right? If you read the big short or you saw the movie, all of these warning signs, blissfully ignorant. So 2008 rolls around, the bank has uh, has sued us for foreclosure. I hired a lawyer. This is right around the time that Lehman Bank failed and, and the Dow is down a thousand points in a day. My lawyer calls me and he says, Henry, you might want to sit down. I, I said, okay. He goes, you're not going to believe this but the judge sided with us. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. The, the judge gave you what he called, he said he gave you a get out of jail free card. He said that the bank may foreclose, but they may not hold any guarantors responsible for recouping their money.
0: Wow. The only living,
1: the only one with a pulse was me.
0: <laughs>
1: and I said to my lawyer, he goes, I've been doing this for 32 years. I've never seen anything like that. So you were blessed. Wow. Because ah, we were dead to rights. I thought I thought for sure. Mm-hmm. And so am I allowed to use profanity on this uh, thing or is no. I, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's
1: it? that? Please don't. Please well, please. I call I call it. I'm not I call this the greater the I refer to it in my book as the greater A blank hole. Okay, got it <laughs> theory. Okay. I call it the greater a blank hole. Theory you that. is that okay, says for- who the judge asked himself, who is the bigger, you know, what uh-huh. was it? Uh, was it the bank for giving us the money or us for taking it? And the uh-huh. judge decided that the bank was at fault because they never should have loaned us the money.
0: Gotcha! Wow, and that's what wow. happened. that's, that's and, an amazing story. To
1: uh,
0: crazy, out.
1: right? I mean, but all those sleepless nights and my wife telling me, I told you something was wrong, and I told you you shouldn't have done this, and. Mm -hmm. it's like i don't need to hear that but but i get it
0: (laughs) so So now as you went through that bankruptcy was all of that from this friend that passed and all of the stuff accumulated from that or is this your whole other well i didn't
1: i didn't go through any sort of bankruptcy in fact Mm -hmm. the whole episode actually cost me five thousand dollars believe it or not that was all i paid my my attorney i paid him a five thousand dollar retainer and 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 that, uh, and that was it. That was all it cost me. So I didn't have to do any. There were, no, there were no financial repercussions for me. We never figured out what happened to all the money. There were rumors that he was indebted to the mob. He had borrowed apparently money out of his new wife's SEP account, like many, mm-hmm. many, many thousands of dollars, but now there was no money to pay it back. He had four mortgages on his house. All of these things came out after the fact. So he had done a pretty good job of of uh, shielding himself uh, until, obviously, you know, the cat was out of the bag. He just
0: couldn't there. take any more.
1: Right. His lawyer was out a half a million dollars, so his lawyer recused himself as the executor. So no one wanted to touch his estate, which was insolvent, and when that happens, it ends up going to the county clerk. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole mess with no... Idea how on earth all of this money could have evaporated. The only thing I can think of is um, the only way to really lose a lot of money very quickly is either be a really bad gambler or be really bad at the stock market. And as far as I know, he wasn't either of those. So mm-hmm. we, we just have no idea to this uh-huh. day. Here we are, you know, that's a sad year- that
0: story that uh, you had to go through that. But, you know, and somebody had to take their life. I just, ah, so sad.
1: Ah, just, I mean, yeah. I'm even forgetting gonna, the whole human, the whole human cost. Yeah, him. Yeah.
0: him you know. Uh, so now we're going to go forward. You're, you've, you've went through that process. You had this huge blessing that was just laid in your lap. You were able to get past that, and now where are you at, and what's going on in your life?
1: So at that time, so I continued on with with my business, and I sold that business. Around 2011, mm-hmm. and I was just about 50 years old at that time. And then my mom. It was 2010. It was around around Easter of 2010. My mom. We all met at my cousin's house in um, Ridgewood, New Jersey. And my mom uh, showed up, and she was well. How old? She was born in 1927. So whatever the the math is there. So she's around, eight, you know, in her early 80s. And my mom was was would never go out without her hair done and without looking a particular way. And and I remember we showed up at my cousin's and my mom, her hair wasn't done. And I looked at her and I looked at my sister and I'm like, what's wrong with this picture here? Something was wrong with her. So we took her to the doctor and she had uh, stage four gastric cancer. Oh my God. Like right out of a clear blue sky. So that was April, 2010. And then in... July, 2010, my wife's mother, Dory, she was diagnosed with, with misdiagnosed, but she had ultimately stage four uterine cancer. So we had the cancer, we call them the cancer twins. (laughs) So we had both of our mothers. So my wife's an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. We're trying to run our businesses. We're running around like headless chickens, taking them to chemo. Uh, You know, I'm coaching, I got three boys and I'm coaching their, their sports teams, but I'm going back and forth between my mom's house in New Jersey and our house in Westchester. My wife actually lives, is living in the West village with, with her mother to help her go back and forth to Beth, Beth Israel. I mean, it was the most insane year. Neither of them lasted a year. They both, uh, oh, um, my mother died and Dory died in December and my mother died in February of that year. And it was just, we went to five funerals in 10 months, two moms, two first cousins and a dear friend of mine's uh daughter 17 year old daughter committed suicide all in the span of 10 months
0: wow i that's, mean it was crazy. just
1: like nothing this is you know again coming on the heels so of went from that went on
0: even worse.
1: to that and i'm like mm-hmm. oh my god so i said i said we got to get out of here we got to we get we got to sell this house we got to reboot so we sold the house we were going to move to New Jersey to be closer to my mother, but then my mother passed away. So we ended up moving into into uh, my mother's house, into my childhood home,
0: mm-hmm. which is where
1: I am now. And we just kind of and kind of started over and reinvented ourselves. My my wife, my uh, mother in law had a business in Manhattan for for like that was founded back in like 1969, a picture framing business. And I was the executor of her estate, and I was going to close that business. My wife said, "No, I want to run that." I'm going to, that's my family legacy. I'm gonna run it. And so that's what she did. And then I got out of the home theater business and I said, okay, what am I gonna do? So I traded stocks for a couple of years, because that's something that I do. I've been doing that since I was a teenager. And I can make a living trading stocks very easily, but it's boring as all get out. So <laughs> well, let's just put it this way. And I wrote about this in my book. I said, if it if your stock trading is not boring, you are doing something wrong. Right. <laughs> right? You do not want it to be exciting. You want it Mm -hmm. to be boring, easy money. That's what you want. And then I decided, you know, I I used, I was been an entrepreneur and I had had informally coached a lot of people. And I said, and I sat down with a piece of paper and I said, okay, I'm still a young man, 50, whatever it was, 52, maybe. And I'm like, what's my next act going to be? And so what are the things that I want to see and what are the things that I don't want to see? And I want to be location independent because when I'm in an empty nester, I want to, you know, I want to move out west, which is something that we're, we're trying to do right now in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I don't want to have an office in the New York City like I had for, for 20 years. Uh, I don't want to be responsible for a big balance sheet and a big income statement. I just want to really be a solopreneur. And I said, all right, well, coaching has pretty low barriers to entry. Let's see what that's about. And so that's how it came about. I, um I signed up for a school for about a year, and I did all this training to teach myself best practices for how to be a coach and then I just announced to the world I'm a business
0: coach. Very cool. And so now you're a business coach, you're also an author, and so you said people can get your book for free. is that right?
1: yes um heres here's the dirty little secret about about book publishing. Unless your name is Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, you know, or Tom Clancy, or you're one of these mega authors, if you're just a little author who's self-publishing, you don't have the capital in most cases to do all the marketing that's necessary to to get a wide release. Mm -hmm. If you want to actually print a book, it's actually kind of expensive to print a book. So when you do the math on it, if you charge $30 for your book, maybe you're going to make You know, ten percent. Maybe you're going to make three bucks, four bucks. You know, Jeff Bezos takes a whole chunk of that. The printers take a whole chunk of that. And the purpose of 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 turning it into a book. It actually started. I wrote it as a course, and then as I was about to launch it as a course, folks said, "You know what? You should really would make a really good book. You'll get a wider audience. You'll use it as a lead magnet, and that turned into a year-long project just turning it into a book because I wanted it to be super professional." I didn't I've seen a lot of books that people have put out. There are coaches that you can hire. I had a client who hired a coach who who said, I'll write a book in eight weeks and get and get it published and get it out and make it an Amazon bestseller. And I'm like, that's just you just that's just not enough time to write a really professional book. I mean, I just don't see how, especially one that has to be researched. So I spent a lot of time making it the best possible book. That no one will ever read. But that's okay. (laughs) Maybe my grandkids will read it someday. So, So, yeah, yeah. so I give it away. You can go on my website, and you can somewhere in the the, what's called the FQ tab, you can scroll down, and you'll find a link that says, if you click on this link, uh, it'll take you to a landing page and and enter enter your email address, and it'll send you an email with a link to download it for free from BookBaby.
0: And so we'll have that linked and we can just put that sure. in our, our show notes. Yeah, too. put it in the show notes. You guys yeah. can be able to do that. So awesome. Um, I really appreciate you coming and sharing all the hardship that you had <laughs> going through that. But now sure. let's talk about the good stuff. So
1: nice. thank you for that segue. <laughs> Wonderful segue. <laughs> <laughs> You know? So
0: you got your book going, you're doing coaching
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you have a coaching program. Is that right? Well, I do.
1: My, my coaching divides itself. I have, a, I have a, um, a personal finance coaching, which is a 20 week program. It's a course. It just, it follows the book. The book is 18 chapters. Mm-hmm. It starts with psychology of money. It goes through building your, your personal net worth, your balance sheet, your income statement, then I talk about all sorts of different investment opportunities in the middle six chapters. and then in the final six chapters, I talk about all the things to look out for, including, you know, partners who who self-terminate, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, social security, taxes, um, you know, estate planning, and then anything and everything that I could think of, um, I included in this. So it's a wide- ranging Really, a wide-ranging study of everything that will inf- affect your uh, financial life for your entire life.
0: Is this book for anyone? So, somebody just wants to know about financial. Yeah, the
1: original title for the book was "Financial Intelligence for the Sandwich Generation." So, I I told the story before, but I pitched. I even said it, wrote it in the book. I pitched the, the title to my wife, and she said, "I like the title. What's the sandwich generation?" So I said, well, if you don't know what it is, maybe not the greatest title. But the sandwich generation is essentially the sweet spot. That's folks who have, you know, school-age children and aging parents. You're mm-hmm. 45, 50 years old. You're sandwiched between them. You've got to save for college. You've got to save for your retirement. You have to save perhaps for your parents' retirement. I know many people who are subsidizing their parents because they didn't put enough money away when they were working. You've got to pay for healthcare, your mortgage and everything. So those folks that are in the middle there are getting hit from all sides. Mm-hmm. But if you're in your 20s, you can learn a lot, even though some of it, as I say in the book, it seems far, far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if you're you're older and you haven't put enough money away, it's, it's never too late, right? I mean, time is the greatest asset you have as an investor. So even if your time is short, you still got that time, right? There are still things that you can do,
0: right? So, right. so in this book, they'll have some strategies and some things that can help them kind of know, kind of where the, what some things that they can actually do to, you know, at their state. yeah,
1: That's they true. are. But the 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 goal, the the real value of it is for me to work one on one and teach you. Gotcha. Like I, 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 I you tested the I that. tested the material with a dozen people. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of people who are doing it now. And we go, you know, week by week, chapter by chapter, and we do a deep dive and I work one-on-one with people. It's the same way that I work one-on-one with entrepreneurs. I think it's really the ultimate way that you're, you're going to learn it and make it stick.
0: All right. Well, Henry, I just appreciate you taking the time today to come share your story, share your program that you have coming up, your book, and hopefully we can help some of our viewers to be able to have something that they can use from this. And the one question that I always ask to everyone is what was a one thing through all of that, that made the biggest transition for you? What was the thing that got you through that hardship that you went through?
1: What gets me, you know, I remember saying to my wife when we were in the throes of all of this stuff that was going on, I said, I just need one thing I just need to find one thing in my life that that's work. Right. And I had lost sight of that and took me a while, but you know, I, 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 I figured it out. I said, you know, I still have a couple bucks. My kids are happy and healthy. You know, I'm, I'm healthy. All of this other stuff will eventually take care of it. Yes. You're in the middle of a hurricane but if I can just hang on to that, you know, to that, to one thing. Right. So, and that was really, for me, it was profound. I I found it on my own, but I think for other people, there's probably a much easier way. Perhaps, perhaps if you're, if you have faith, maybe there's a, you know, a cleric that you can lean on or a personal friend or, you know, in business to hire a coach or somebody that you can talk to, it really helps to have somebody to talk to and just find that, one it could be just even a little thing right Mm. but as long as there's one thing that say yeah this is this is good this is working you can just focus on that because what you focus on expands so if you focus on the good on the bad stuff that stuff just overwhelms your life right
0: but if you can
1: if you find something good to focus on even if it's tiny make it big
0: let it push
1: all that dark stuff out of the way get it out of the way because you can't think clearly, you just can't. When you're under that kind of mental stress, it's hard to make good decisions, right? It's one of the things I say, you know, with traders is like, you know, I do a little psychological profile every morning before I trade, it's just five, five questions. It's, a, it's a, something that a, a friend of mine who's a master trader and, uh, and also trained as a psychiatrist taught me years ago, and I asked those five questions. And it tells me either trade, trade with caution or no trade. And if it's a no trade day, and I don't trade it's, the universe is telling me you are not in the right mental state to make smart decisions. So, you know what? Don't mm, <laughs> listen to that bad. voice that's inside bad. of your head. That's telling you wait till tomorrow, <laughs> right? Wait for another sunrise when you're not in a bad mood or you didn't have a fight or you didn't take a bad beat yesterday in the market or whatever it might be. Right.
0: I love it. Well, thank you so much, Henry, for sharing that. And to me, that sounds like just finding that gratitude, that one thing that you can just grasp a hold of and be able to, you know, just know maybe everything else isn't good, but that, that one thing of gratitude. So I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for being a part of our show today. And I'm grateful that we had you on and thank you so much for being here. My name is Donna Gammon and this is Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review now and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow.